Well, good morning. I like this new setting. It feels very close and intimate. I like it. Um, so, we've been going through the book of Malachi. Uh, just to kind of sum up, Malachi is a book that points backwards through the story of Israel and points forward into the New Testament. Malachi is the very last book of the Old Testament. Uh, and so it's recapping all of what Israel has done. It's pointing back to what they had in the Exodus and how they, how they left Egypt and God saved them. And God said, if you're going to serve me, you're going to be my treasured possession. You're going to be my kingdom of priests. We're going to set you apart by loving God and loving neighbor. But then the Israelites, they don't do this. They do what is right in their own eyes. They go off and their kings start marrying foreign women, which they're not supposed to do. They start worshiping idols. They start to forsake the poor and the needy and the sojourner. And God sends them into exile. God, God says, look, I gave you a chance to turn, and you're not going to listen. So I'm going to send you into exile. I'm going I'm to discipline you like a father disciplines his child. And, and he does that, and the people cry out. And so God says, okay, I'll bring you back into land. So God makes an opportunity for them to come back to Israel. But this new generation of Israelites is just as bad. They're, they're not doing what they're supposed to do. They're worshiping idols. They're forsaking this, the poor and the needy. They're doing all these things that they're not supposed to do. And they're just as bad. And so God, God brings us up to them, and he says, hey, look, you guys aren't doing what you're supposed to do. And then... And all these disputes about these different things we've been looking at in Malachi. And this one, he talks about how your words have been hard against me. And he says, but they say, how have we spoken against you? And God, God points out that they call the arrogant blessed. They call those who, who go and do their own thing as blessed. But they, they seem to, they look at the, at the people who are doing wrong and they say, they seem to be doing all right, God. You know, you say you're going to punish them, but they seem to be doing just fine. So maybe I'm going to go do my own thing too. Have you ever done something that you maybe shouldn't have done, but you got away with it? Man, I remember, so I worked at a, at a camp called Kettleson Camp in Saskatchewan, and I had a buddy uh, who, when we were, we staffed a lot of different years together, and I'm not going to name his name, but if he ever watches this, he knows who he is, and man, this guy could get away with murder with our bosses. There's something about it that he would never seem to get caught, and even when he did, he would go, Oh, no, did I do that? Oh, I'm sorry. And our boss, he just had this charming smile to him and this funny wit, and our bosses would be like, ah, you troublemaker, you, and just let him off scot-free. And I was like, what? Come on. If I do this, I'm getting fired. And then this guy's like, ah, whatever. Um, and, and that was something that always bugged me. And, and sometimes we live in a world where it seems like bad things seem to have no consequence to them. That, you know, dictators run amok, there's political corruption, racial injustice, all these different things that it seems like, seems like there's evil in this world and, and people do bad things, but there's no consequence to them. And so at times it's, it's, it almost seems like what, like the line between right and wrong seems to get blurred. It seems to, for us to think, what is, what is even right and wrong? We, we have no more distinction, and it, and it gets easy to go, ah, you know, God, you say this is what you want, but you don't, you don't punish these. Nothing happens to these people, so maybe this is right. Maybe I'll just go do what I think is, is right, because they, they seem to get away with it anyways. 
the Israelites are in the same place here at the book, end of the book of Malachi. It's, like I said, the people didn't do what God wanted them to do. They, they turned their backs. They stopped offering proper worship, is what it talks about in early Malachi, where the priests and the people are bringing these terrible sacrifices. They're bringing, I like, there's a, a channel called the Bible Project that goes over and does like book summaries of each book of the Bible. And they have a picture of this guy bringing a, a, a sheep with three eyes to the temple to sacrifice or one that's like vomiting out. And it's like, oh, this is not good sacrifices. Um, and they began to forsake the poor and the widow and the orphan. They divorced their wives and married foreign women. And so, yeah, God sent them into exile. They repented and God allowed them back into the land. But this new generation is just as bad. And so, so the people seem to think, man, these proud people just seem to escape. And they decide to live that way too. They say, uh, what is the profit of our keeping God's charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. That's uh, Malachi 3, verse 15. But the thing is, though, is that the text shows that this really isn't the case. Is that, you know, they might think that, that these guys are getting off scot-free, but that's not the case. It says... Uh, that those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. So this is, this is a really stark contrast. Is there's a contrast between these evil, proud people who say, God doesn't remember anything. He, he doesn't punish us. We're going to go do what our own thing is. And then there's the people who fear the Lord, and they meet together. And they say, I know that God's going to remember our faithfulness in the face of this. And God does. It says he writes down in a book of remembrance. God hears us. He pays attention to us. In an age where right and wrong seem to blur, God knows what is right and wrong. He says it in his word. And then he says, and he continues on in this passage in Malachi to say that he's actually going to come and make a distinction between right and wrong. That God, he then begins to show us this distinction. God says he's going to come and he's going to make a distinction and he's going to make a new people for himself. In verse... Sorry, one second, I need to find the verse. I lost my spot. There it is. In 317, it says there's a book of remembrance written, and then it says, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man who spares his son who serves him. Then once more you will see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. So this language of, of treasured possession, that if you know the Old Testament, and if you've been living in this story, like the Old Testament Israelites were, this word treasured possession is a really loaded term. That this is actually the term of endearment that God has used for Israel since day one. In Exodus 19, it says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people. For the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So this is a special term of endearment. This is, this is a, a really important thing to them. 
This is like, so to my girlfriend, her name's Tiana. I call her T. So this would be like if I started calling someone else T, or if you started calling your husband or wife, if you, if you call them honey, if you started calling someone else honey. This is like a term of endearment. This is a weird thing for you to say, call someone else. And actually, this is like really, really scathing, is for God to say, look, you haven't been faithful to me, so I'm going to go and find myself a new treasure. I'm going to make myself a new treasure possession of the ones who truly are faithful to me. But this expands it, that it, it isn't just about being able to say, yeah, I'm an Israelite. I'm under God's protection. I'm his treasured possession. But God says, no, no, no. Like, you actually have to remain faithful to me as I remain faithful to you. And he doesn't stop there. He goes on. He's saying, what's going to happen to those who are not wanting to be in this treasured position? He says, for behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. So when God comes back to make this distinction, when he comes back to remake his treasured possession, for the people who haven't been listening to God, this isn't going to be good. If you were here a few weeks ago, I spoke kind of a similar message to this because Malachi is repeating itself over and over again, where I I told this idea about moms coming home. So... Your mom comes, your mom, you're a little kid. Your mom says, okay, I'm going out for the day. I need you to vacuum the house, dust the cupboards, and pull the chicken out of the freezer to defrost for supper. Now, mom leaves for the day. You go, you play your video games, you do whatever you want, and you don't do your chores. When mom comes home, you're going to go, oh, shoot, mom's home. I don't have time to vacuum and dust, and the chicken's not going to be defrosted in time. Mom's not going to be happy. Oh, boy. So when mom comes home, it's not a good thing for you. But if instead you said, okay, let's just buckle down and do this, and then I'll go play my video games. When mom comes home, it's going to be a good thing. It's, oh, mom's home. This person whom I love, who I listen to, is, gonna, is coming home. This is great. This is like what happens when God comes, is that for those who are, who are fearing the Lord and speaking with one another, when the Lord comes, it says that he's gonna, they're going to jump like calves from the stall. Now, if you know anything about cows, I don't know a lot about cows, so I had to call a friend about this. And he's like, well, calves, when you, open, when you have a calf and a cow in a stall overnight, usually you open the door, and the cow just kind of comes plodding out. But the calf is excited to see what's out there. The calf is excited to be out there and to, to know what's there. And so the calf jumps out of the stall, and it leaps, and it frolics through the meadow or whatnot. But yeah, for the for the other people who aren't when God comes when the when the stall opens, it isn't going to be good for them. And this theme of of day of the Lord has been popping up through the prophets again and again. Israel has been warned about this. This isn't the first time they've been warned about this. This is like mom left home and also left a couple sticky notes around the house for you to remember to vacuum the floor and check out the chicken and da 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 da. And people haven't listened. We have records of 17 different prophets that tell the people to repent, and they go into exile and back and still don't learn. So God gives them one final message here in Malachi. He says, this is what's going to happen. When I come, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean house. I'm going to bring my faithful to myself. I'm going to remember them, and I remember what you've done, the evil stuff you've done. 
And then God goes quiet. For 400 years, the, Israels don't hear another, the Israelites don't hear another message from God. At the time, the Israel is, is ruled by the Persian Empire. The Persian Empire falls to the Greeks. The Greeks fall to the Romans. And all the while, God is silent to them. God has said, you won't listen to me, so I'm going to give you one last message. And then when I come, when I come home, it's, this is what's going to happen. So then we see Jesus shows up on the scene, and he fulfills this. Jesus comes and he, he flips it all over, literally. He comes to the temple, and he flips over the table, and he cleans his house. He brings those who are faithful, who, who have ears to hear and eyes to see. He remakes those as his treasured possession, the people that we wouldn't think would be his treasured possession, and the people who are the righteous elite, the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law, who trust only in their own righteousness, he says, no, 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 no. You're not my treasured possession. You're the people who don't understand. He proclaims liberty to the captives. He proclaims sight to the blind and woes to those who trust in their own self-righteousness. Jesus comes and he, and he becomes the center. He remakes his treasured possession around himself. He's become our teacher, recentering everything around himself. Not only does he take the faithful part of Israel, though, but he also grafts in the Gentiles. He dies. He goes to the cross all for love, and he dies, and comes back to death. Comes back alive, defeating death, and allowing that everybody now may be in this. That we are clean, and the Holy Spirit can be in us, and all can be part of His treasured possession. And he comes to divide right from wrong. He humbles the proud. And he blesses those who are humble and walk in love. So that's what's happened. That's what happens in the story of, of Israel. And it becomes our story too. And kind of the cool thing about this is that Israel is told that they have that this is what God's going to do, and then he leaves for four hundred years. Now, think about, think about our lives. The end of Matthew, Jesus is on the hill with his disciples, and he says, All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Now go, therefore, go and baptize all nations. I'm coming, and he says, I'm coming back for you. There's a term that we like to use. Is we live in the already, not yet. That the kingdom of God is already here, but is not yet here in its fullness. Jesus said he's going to come back and finish what he started. And I trust that he is. But we are in a, a waiting period of 2022, almost 2023 years now. We're already counted as, as those who fear the Lord and spoke with one another. That's what we're doing right here. Right here, we are speaking with one another and we are fearing the Lord. That's, that's our worship. We live in his love and his grace for us that covers all of us, but now we await this final day of the Lord. Just as, just as God said, okay, to, to the Israelites, okay, I'm coming back soon, and I'm going to bring in all my faithful. That's what Jesus says he's going to do for us too. He's going to bring in all his faithful. And so his love and grace covers us, but Jesus still tells us 
that we need to, to stay awake, to stay alert with our lamps lit and our oil stored, like in the, the parable of the ten virgins where some of them were wise and brought extra oil because they knew the wait might be long. And some of them were foolish and didn't bring extra oil because they thought, ah, it's, we're fine, we'll, we'll figure it out. And so, so the question then today is, are we living like the Israelites in Malachi who say, ah, Jesus, this is hard. Jesus, I'm, I'm running out of oil here, Lord. It seems like it's going to be a lot easier for me to just go do my own thing because they don't seem to get punished. And I don't, I'm, yeah, I'm getting sick of waiting, God. Or are we remembering Jesus' teaching? He says that nobody knows the day or the hour, but to stay awake because he'll come like a thief in the night and we've got to be ready. Jesus leaves us and tells us how to, tells us, make disciples of all nations. He tells us to fear God and to, to love others. And this is how we keep our lamps burning. And it's so easy to get apathetic. I am so good at getting apathetic and forgetting to fear God by taking time in my day to read my Bible, even if it's just 20 minutes. Or it's really, really easy for when somebody frustrates me a little bit to just in my heart go, man, I'm so sick of this person. And sometimes it feels really pointless when you read your Bible day after day after day after day and God doesn't seem to show up and you're just like, God, this is boring. Or when the same person just gets on your nerves and gets on your nerves and gets on your nerves and gets on your nerves. It sometimes seems really pointless. You're like, Jesus, why do I have to keep loving this person? It doesn't get any easier. And it feels like sometimes the arrogant are blessed and we wonder if it's all worth it. But Malachi shows us that he remembers all this. That he remembers your faithfulness in the hard times. That he remembers those times when you think, man, Jesus, this is too hard. But I'm going to serve you anyways. He keeps and rewards his faithful. And I'm so excited for the day when he comes back. I want to be able to be one who can leap from the calf, leap from the stall like a calf. In the face of evil and a world in which there seem to be no consequences, we can choose to go our own way like the Israelites, or we can be the faithful ones who commit to faithfulness. So then our challenge today is to remember, what is it to be God's faithful? It's to fear the Lord and to love others. If someone looked at your life, can they say, yeah, you're being, this person's being faithful? So today, let's just take a, just a quick moment to ponder of God, is there something in my life I need you to turn? He says that in, in verse 6, he says, he will turn the hearts of the children to their fathers and he'll come and strike the land with a decree of destruction. And he tells them to remember the law of Moses. So is there something in my life that I need God to turn? Do I need to have him give me a new healthy fear? Am I giving God what he's due? My time, my tithe, my proper offering of worship? Do I need him to turn my heart to restore relationship? Am I treating the poor and the sojourner and the hired worker well? Am I loving my spouse and my family? Am I loving my brothers and sisters? So let's just take a moment and just ask the Lord, where do I need my heart turned?
would Jesus soften our hearts? Jesus, where is it that we need you to come and write your law on our hearts? Where do we need you, your Holy Spirit, to come and work on us, Jesus? Jesus, help us to fear you, to have a healthy awe of you, Jesus, because you're so worthy of it. Lord, help us to be living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you, Jesus. Help us to love our neighbor. Help us to love each other like you loved us. Yeah, Holy Spirit, come. Change us. Amen.